and welcome to this webinar and podcast from the Center for Christianity in Society. It's the second episode in our series, Conversations on Coronavirus. For more information about the Center and to access our growing archive of articles, videos, and podcast episodes, please visit our website, www.christianityinsociety.org. You can also follow us on social media under the handle at Christ in Society. In this series, we're looking at various aspects of how Christians are responding to the coronavirus crisis. We'll have a range of different guests joining us to share from their own experiences of issues like loneliness, doing evangelism during lockdown, and how this crisis has affected our working lives as well. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Coulter, the director of the Center for Christianity in Society, and Mark McClurg, the pastor of Newtonard's Elam Church. Both Paul and Mark recently became ill with COVID-19, and Mark made the news back in March here in Northern Ireland when he shared details of his own experience in hospital. Thankfully, he made a full recovery and he's able to join us now. Uh, so it's great to be speaking to both of you today about your experiences. And before we get started, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself. So, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm married to Claire. I have three lovely children, Liliana, and twin boys, Josiah and Judah. I've been a pastor for around 12 years. And the last eight years, I have been the pastor of Ards Elam Church. Great, thank you, Mark. And uh, same question to you, Paul. Yeah, I, I live in Lisburn in Northern Ireland with uh, my wife, uh, Garling, who's from Malaysia. She's Chinese, that's uh, the name. She's a doctor working in uh, elderly care. I started out working life as a, as a doctor and then moved into church work as a pastor and then teaching in a Bible college and now work with a Christian organization supporting and training uh, Christian leaders. And we've got two children, uh, a 13 year old boy, and Joseph, and an 11 year old girl, Hannah. So they're doing homeschool uh, these days, at least I think they are. I try and keep an eye on them now to now, time to time, but they're, <laughs> yeah, big and bad. Very good. Uh, so, so Mark, I, I remember seeing a couple of months ago your, your posts, your videos that you put online. And of course, many people, it wasn't just me, many thousands of people were also tracking your progress uh, during that time whenever you first got the, the coronavirus and then also whenever you got out of hospital as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like? So at the start of March, I was realizing that my body hasn't been right. I had a sty and conjunctivitis in my eye. And then till the middle of March, I was realizing my body's fatigue, it's run down, pains across my chest and back, and the shortness of breath. Thankfully, in our church, we have a number of NHS workers. So I phoned one of our nurses and she says, you just need to go down to A&E. So when I went down on to A&E in, in the Ulster Hospital on the March 16th, I was treated with the utmost of care. Quickly, they got me out of A&E and into a pre-assessment ward where I was looked after and cured. Uh, spending a week in ICU is difficult. I was in a separate quarantine room and away from Claire and the kids. And that's probably the hardest part of the coronavirus, being totally isolated and heartbreaking away from the family. 
But the most difficult point came on the Saturday when the doctors discussed with Claire the possibility that I would have to go on to a mechanical ventilator. That means with a tube would go in and I would be sedated. The COVID-19 really sapped all my strength away. It consumed my lungs and I ended up with pneumonia as well. But thankfully on the Sunday, I began to recover. I was then moved to the COVID ward and then brought to a friend's house for a further week of isolation. But praise God, I'm home with my family. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. That's such a um, fantastic ending, Mark, to that story, but obviously real, real suffering uh, in the midst of that. Um, Paul, what, what about you then? What was your experience of the virus like? Yeah, well, we um, much milder than Mark's. Uh, Mark, really feel for you and what you're saying um, with your ICU experience, but I suppose people watching or listening to this, if they do get the virus or are worried about getting it, you know, the most folks get it more mildly, which was our experience. So there are four of us in the house, as I said, and all four of us actually tested positive eventually. So that started with my wife. She's a doctor, as I say, in elderly care, and her ward became a, a COVID ward. So only uh, with patients who have the disease. So there was always a very high risk, as it was like any frontline worker, that she might get it. Um, and so about five weeks ago, she developed a fever and a cough. Uh, she was tested and that came back positive. So she tried to isolate from us in the house, um, which isn't easy. I was leaving food into the, the room, but not coming closer. But we knew that I'd already been in touch with her uh, before she got symptoms. And one of the problems is you can be infectious before the symptoms arise. Uh, so it wasn't really a surprise when about a week after her or, or a bit less, I started to have a headache, especially behind the eyes, a sore throat. And then the fever started, never went very high, about 37 and a half, 38 degrees. Muscle aches, especially around the chest, a bit like Mark described, tingling on the back. It's the best way I can describe it, which was a bit different than sort of your normal cold or flu. And then a cough, and I started to bring some phlegm up, but I have a bit of asthma. Um, So given the fact that my wife was positive and the symptoms fitted the bill, it wasn't really a surprise when I got tested that I came back um, positive, but it was, it was very strange. I don't know about Mark, but even though you know that that's probably what you've got, when you hear somebody say to you, um, you've got it and use that phrase, you know, it's positive. Um, because you hear so much about it in the news and you're so aware that this could be a life-threatening thing, that does make you wobble. Very hard to describe how that feels, just hearing those words and coming to terms with that. Uh, so in terms of recovery, I mean, my wife took a bit longer than me to recover. She was a little bit annoyed at that because I'm the overweight, asthmatic male, you know, and, and statistically should have been worse. But actually, it took her longer um, and she was up and down and she did take a dip at one point again. And, uh, you know, I was I was quite worried about her when she started to go down again because you're wondering, is this going to get a lot worse? But thankfully, she didn't need hospital. Um, and then she was off for three and a half weeks before she went back to work. I went back to work a bit sooner. Both of us had a lot of fatigue uh, and still do have a bit of that. I'm sure Mark maybe does too, you know, it takes time. Um, And the problem with fatigue is it's actually very hard to know when you're out of it because you sort of gradually get a bit stronger. So it's very hard to know when you're back to normal. And I was really thankful for wise friends who, you know, in my work and friends around me who actually said, look, don't rush back and, and make sure you take it easy. 
the other thing is just over the last weekend I my breathing got a bit worse again um, and my wife was quite concerned she's not a worrier but she was kind of you know it could be clotting in the lungs and so on so I had to go and get checked out and they put me on some steroids but I think I'm I don't you know I think I'm on a good road to recovery mm. and just to say I mean the children I said they tested positive but our daughter, um, she just had a couple of days of a sore throat and a sore head. Nothing that would have kept her off school if she'd been going out to school. And mm-hmm. uh, my son had nothing but a loss of sense of smell for a couple of days. So what you're hearing in the news about the variability of symptoms, you know, that it can be really severe, or it can be just very mild, it, especially maybe children, most often it's it's quite mild, was certainly true in our case. But, yeah. yeah, so as you said there, Paul, there are a range of different uh symptoms that can be shown some people experience it very mildly for others it's much more serious but it seems like there's a range of different emotions that i'm sure that both of you had as well so so mark can you tell us a bit about that what was going through your your head at the time whenever you were experiencing this um what was going through my mind and hmm. in, in icu i was just trying to stay alive mm-hmm. um because every day is a struggle. Mm-hmm. You're struggling to breathe. It's difficult to breathe. So thankfully, my mind, I had to just keep it in check. I kept contact with Claire and the kids and my friends and my church family. So that's how I was able to keep my mind in check because I kept on phoning, video calling family and friends. And what about then your um, experience of being a Christian in the midst of this then, Mark? What yeah. difference did being a Christian make to how you handled uh, this this disease? Right, there's so many stories I could share here, but I don't have the time to go through them. But I do remember being on the ward before I went in the ICU, and Claire and I, we were just praying. Um, we were just having a lovely little time of fellowship, but also prayer to the Lord. And then on the Tuesday night, that's when things were getting difficult because my breathing was just going rapidly downhill. Mm. And the, the oxygen that was on the ward was not enough. So an ICU doctor had to come up and say, listen, we need to take you down because you're critical. Now I phoned Claire around midnight and I said, Claire, I think this is it. I think I'm going to die because I was just struggling to breathe. Now I wasn't afraid to die. I knew I was ready for heaven, but I wasn't ready to leave Claire and the kids Hmm. and the doctors then brought me down to ICU they were brilliant they worked with me and the nurses worked with me they put me onto the CPAP machine which is the the mask that just to the ventilator just continuous pressure it's brilliant it just helped me so much now after a while they left me and I was alone and I was on my own and I just simply said Lord I love you Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you heal me? Hmm. I'm a Christian pastor, and hmm. but something happened beautiful that moment. I heard the audible voice of Jesus, and he spoke into my right ear. He said, son, you are more than a conqueror. Now, I didn't realize at that moment what more than a conqueror meant for me in ICU, hmm. because it was more than one battle, hmm. and I would have more battles to win. But I just knew at that moment I was so ill, but I was going to come through this because Jesus spoke to me. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for 
friends that have prayed for him. My family had a prayer for him. My church family. My church family stayed up all night, night after night, taking turns praying. Mm -hmm. And they did it over the WhatsApp church group. Even though I was up in the middle of the night, I was reading prayers of people loving me. But this is what's overwhelming me, and it still overwhelms me. I have got messages of support and encouragement and prayers from Christians right around the world. Hmm. So you asked, how did I cope? I was carried by Christians who prayed for me. Mm -hmm. That's amazing and such a testimony to the power of prayer as mm -hmm. well, that God really does work through mm -hmm. prayer. And obviously mm -hmm. that was such an answer to your mm -hmm. prayers, uh, Mark. What about then for you, Paul? What was you know, your experience of the, the virus, yeah. you've about that. how did being a Christian make a difference to how you handled it? Yeah, so I mean, again, obviously I wasn't in the, in the same position that Mark was in. It didn't get as severe for any of us in the house. Um, but there was, uh, you know, that moment, I think when, when I had taken over sort of just doing everything for, for my wife when she was sick, uh, and then when I started to get symptoms, that was the moment when it did hit me you know, we, we don't know how this is going to turn out. Um, and, and when both of you are sick and you've got kids, uh, I think Mark's point about, you know, you might be ready yourself for death and faith certainly brings that, but the idea of leaving others behind is really hard. And so there was a, a moment and when you've got a fever, you're not thinking <laughs> um, the clearest anyway. Um, and that was a real challenge. I suppose it's a challenge for anyone to be confronted with your, your mortality. And for us as people who aren't, aren't elderly, you know, are quite well otherwise. And I have to say, I'm, I'm quite cowardly by, by, by nature and by, by personality, but, but genuinely I didn't have an audible voice experience like, like Mark, um, but, but the assurance, the sort of inner voice of God, knowing that he was sovereign, he was in control. It's very hard to describe that to somebody who maybe doesn't believe in God or, or doesn't have that relationship of trust in him but actually taking that confidence and courage to face uncertainty because I know ultimately he's in control he holds our life in his hands and then also his comfort his presence so that that's a really powerful thing as well it's not just an idea it's not just thoughts it's, it's a it's a knowledge that he is with you in that moment um, a very present help in trouble as one of the Psalms puts it aside from that I would absolutely echo what Mark said. I mean, I was amazed. I didn't know uh, until afterwards how many people were praying for me. Um, and it didn't hit the headlines or kind of, you know, it didn't go around the world necessarily, but even across Northern Ireland, people in all sorts of different churches. And I was really surprised because I don't think I've ever been on as many prayer lists, you know, or, uh, and then the church coming in practically, making meals for us. We had never received that before. Um, so it's one of those things, you know, you do it for others or you encourage it and you know it's a good thing, but it's very humbling. And I just think the church sometimes gets a bad press, you know, but, but my experience is that my Christian brothers and sisters were there for me. And like Mark said, they carried us um, through any of that. And, and that's, I can't thank them enough for that. And I can't thank God enough for that because that's his work through them. The, the other last thing I would say is just slowing down, being forced to be off work. So I'm notorious, uh, like a lot of people, I suppose, wanting to work hard and work fast. And um, 
I do think God was was challenging me to say slow down, which ironically that's something I talk a lot about in my work, supporting pastors and so on. But you know, we need to learn these things ourselves as well. And I remember when my wife was recovering, and I said to her, you know, you need to sit outside, get some fresh air, and just sit and watch the birds. So I've I've you know got even I've started to notice the birds more and so on. Just notice the simple things. And Jesus said something about that too. You know, that look at how God looks after the birds. How much more will He look after you? So I think just seeing his hand in, in his people, in my personal experience and in the creation that I see around me has, has yeah, he's a constant presence and, and I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, that's great. It seems like for both of you, there's the, this theme of answered prayer and, and being supported and held up in prayer by your church community, by your family, but then also having practical help and support mm. as well you know it, it's an opportunity it seems for the church to really rally around and show and demonstrate uh, love in action uh, and i suppose for, for all of us we know that this global pandemic it's given us so many challenges so many people have died and lost loved ones many people mm. are, are losing their jobs at the moment but there also seem to be wonderful opportunities for the gospel so mark in what ways have you seen god at work even in the midst of this crisis? That's a great question, Michael. And thank you for asking this one. I am blessed that my inbox, my Twitter and my Facebook page, I am constantly, even today, just a couple of hours ago, I received a message from a nurse. It's only a couple of hours ago, this is fresh, thanking me for, I've started a, a 714. It's a prayer initiative on our RG and Facebook page. And it's just praying. It's just praying for key workers and essential workers. And a nurse came in and says, she's had to be redeployed to another unit. And it was worrying because she's out of her comfort zone. She's out of the place where she's normally, but the prayers have encouraged her. I'll share one other story. A, a nurse in Australia who was a Christian who was discouraged because of what she was saying, tuned in to the 714 and just saw encouragement through prayer now that's mm. powerful when you think here's me and newton arts but people around the world are being encouraged but if i could say this to the christians who are listening i just feel this is an opportunity more than ever for us to be more like jesus everyone mm. that beautiful story in luke 24 the couple coming home from the road to a mess they had lost all hope and everything didn't seem right everything seemed wrong and then what happens is Jesus came alongside them and walked with them. And I love that how Jesus, he listened to the story. He asked them, what things, what's troubling you? He listens to their heart. He hears mm. their story. And then he shares his story. And he opened up the scriptures to them, showing everything from Moses to the prophets concerning himself. I just feel we need to be more like Jesus. Hmm. And I just feel for us going forward, I just feel we need to change how we did things before. I think there's many stories going to come out of this coronavirus and there's going to be people with pain and sorrow and mental health problems. They've hmm. got crushing feelings. Some are going to carry scars mentally, physically, emotional. And I just feel it's time for Christians, listen to their story, share your story, but then share the gospel story of Jesus. I feel if we love people and listen to people, I believe we will go closer to them and bring them closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mark, for sharing that. 
Uh, and Paul, what about you? How have you seen God's really at work in this crisis? Yeah, I mean, that, I think what Marcus said is just fantastic and such a great challenge, Mark. I don't want to take away from that in any way. You know, I can't, can't disagree at all with it. I think um, what I would say or when, when I saw this question, I thought, I mean, the... I've mentioned about my awareness of mortality and I mentioned that I'm kind of by nature a bit of a card and, and you know, it's a funny thing. You sort of think if you ever were faced with even the remote possibility of death, never mind it coming closer than it did for us, um, you, you, you'll you give up or give way or whatever. But but I've read about this and I, I think I'm, I can say a little bit by experience now that actually being aware of your mortality and coming to terms with it is a very good thing. And the Bible kind of says a lot about that, you know, that we're just like grass of the field. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And it's not a morbid thing, though. It's not kind of walking around thinking, oh, you know, death is coming soon or whatever. But it's actually awareness that that makes you think every day counts, um, every moment counts. But also what comes after that? What is life? What's it all about? And I, I, I think you know, when you can come to terms with that and find a, a place to rest in that, which is only going to be in the truth. And I believe that truth is found in Jesus and in the, the good news that he died for us, that he loves us, that we can know him, we can be forgiven by him and restored by him. Then it's only there that you can really find the peace to say it's okay, then I'm not going to live in this life forever. Uh, but life does have meaning because he has given it to me. Um, and there is life beyond the grave. There's resurrection hope for the future. And, and there's a purpose in life. And that purpose is bigger than me. It's not about me. It's not about us. It is about Jesus. And I'm really encouraged. I mean, some, so I talk to a lot of church leaders in my normal work. And I am hearing some of them say they're getting a lot more people engaging with church, you know, that they're putting out online. It's not, it's not the full church experience, but at least people are tuning in. I hope that carries on after this, that people don't just sort of turn to God in the moment and then and then forget him when things, if they go back to some new normal. Um, I also hear of people coming to faith, not massive numbers, not everywhere, but certainly that's just wonderful to hear. God is working and the gospel isn't constrained by any means or kind of method. It, it, it can transcend, it can go through the internet, it can go through um, any means. And then the practical responses that Christians are making, which you've touched on, Michael, and we've talked about, I think are really heartening food banks. But as, as Mark said, there's going to be a huge need. And I think one of the challenges is pastoral care is very difficult in this moment. I'm training people in an online course in pastoral care. And it's just so difficult because your normal thing, Mark touched on it earlier, is to go be with the person, you know, give them a hug or a, a hand on the shoulder, hold their hand if that's appropriate. You can't do that. But but I think we have, at the moment anyway, but we have to be confident that God is present with people. And so prayer really does matter. And we can use words to, to walk alongside them the way Mark said. Um, but let's not forget that. Let's remember Mark's challenge. I wish I could just re-say it because I think that's the, the key message for us is, is to say actually for Jesus, I mean, maybe Mark, that simplicity is what that sounds like. It's simple, isn't it? It's kind of tell your story of Jesus and let him tell his story and tell his story to others. And, and, and that's really what we need, you know? Yeah, that's a great takeaway uh, to be more like Jesus. Mm. Isn't it? Um, but thank you so much to both of you for contributing to the discussion today. Um, and sadly, I think that's, that's all we have time for, but it's been so interesting 
to hear about your own experiences of COVID-19 and also to hear how God has re restored and healed both of you, but also how he's working in the midst of this crisis. Uh, thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Conversations on Coronavirus from the Centre for Christianity in Society. Uh, join us again next week when we'll be speaking about tracking and treating COVID-19. Our guests will be Dr. David Glass. He's a senior lecturer in computing at Ulster University and the author of Atheism's New Clothes and Timothy Shaw, a doctor and a clinical research fellow at Queen's University. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please do contact us through social media. You can do that on our Facebook page uh, or through our website, www.christianityinsociety.org. Until next time, goodbye.